sitting out there in these last 15 minutes, and I have been worshiping because the music is beautiful, it's powerful, and it is sung with spirit before our Heavenly Father. Would you agree with that? Amen. And I thank you for singing. I thank the choir and Belinda and Annabelle and everybody that's involved. And I say this all the time, every time I come, and it's nothing original, but it is genuine. I am very glad to see you folks. And it's been a joy already this morning to walk around the halls and to greet people and to tease a little bit and to carry on with uh, Greg. Where's Greg? There he is. Now, he doesn't tease me at all. <laughs> See, Greg, your reputation precedes you, brother. Uh-huh. And I love that because that's part of being brothers, part of being family, brothers and sisters together. So, um, Kings Grant Baptist Church, you are very special to me. And I am very thankful to be able to be here and to walk with this man by the name of Nehemiah. I hope that y'all have taken the assignment. Do you remember what assignment I gave you two, three weeks ago? I said you needed to read two books. Ooh, that sounds like a rough old teacher, right? Well, I have been a teacher many, many days in my life. But two books. One's the book of Nehemiah and scriptures in our Holy Bible. And the other's the book Nehemiah Code by O.S. Hawkins because that is a book that I am referring to a good bit. Several people have said that they have gotten the book and I am thankful about that because it is certainly a benefit to me and to us and I'm so pleased because Nehemiah is teaching us something, teaching us many things about building. And I've told you a time or two that a lot of times titles to sermons have never really impressed me a great deal. Even my titles to sermons haven't impressed me a great deal. But today we're going to talk about Arise and Build. And I just want those two words to sink in to me and to you and to all of us as we share our time together because God is moving here at King's Grant. And he is calling you and me to rise up in prayer, in worship, in fellowship, in peace, and to build. Now... This church is already established, absolutely. It has been a wonderful church. It is a wonderful church. It's going to be a wonderful church. But we're always called to change and to grow and to build. It's part of the Christian life. And so today we're going to talk, with Nehemiah's help, about Arise and Build. And I have looked forward all these last two or three weeks since I've been with you for this time where I can just share and see the Lord and see the God's word and what we're going to say here today. So, I want to remind you about this fellow, Nehemiah, 
just a little bit of review here for a moment because he's not really one of the most popular people in scriptures. Now, not because he's not powerful, but, he, you know, we think about Joshua and Abraham and Moses and uh, certainly into the New Testament with all the people there. But Nehemiah is a man of prayer, a man of vision, a man of courage, uh, a man of action. Uh, he sought the Lord and got it done. <laughs> and that makes sense to me, folks, in both of those priorities, to seek the Lord and then finding out what the Lord says, then to get it done. And so I'm hoping that I can be that way and I'm encouraging you to be that way. So please remember that Nehemiah lived back in about 445, 450 B.C. He lived in a, a foreign country in Persia, uh, lived in Susa, the capital of that country during those years. And he is living with a heart for another place. Now, remember, he's never lived in this other place. This other place is Jerusalem, God's city, the city of God's people. And Nehemiah had never lived there. His ancestors had lived there, yes. But please remember that in 586 B.C., there was a pagan king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar that invaded Jerusalem and destroyed the city, destroyed the temple. And now here, really in Nehemiah's time, it's some 140 years later. That's a long time, folks. I'm not even that old. But here's Nehemiah with a heart burdened for Jerusalem, a place that he's never been, but a place that God was speaking to him about. And Jerusalem was still destroyed these 140 years later. Now, there had been some return of the Jewish people back in like 536 down to about 520 B.C. because if you ever go to the little book of Haggai, you will see some return of the, of the Jews to Jerusalem, and you will see them working some, but sometimes not, on rebuilding the temple. Remember the temple had been destroyed? The walls, the gates, the city? Nebuchadnezzar had laid waste to the city of Jerusalem. So... During those years, it was just a struggle for the Jewish people. And even in 140 years, there had not been a re rebuilding process. And as I talked to you two or three weeks ago when I first talked about Nehemiah, he had conversation with one of his brother, brothers, Hanani. Hanani had been to Jerusalem and came back to Susa, and Nehemiah asked him, how are things in Jerusalem, in, our, in the city of our fathers? And Hannah and I said, things are terrible. Things are desperate. 
the walls are bur burned and torn down. The people are depressed. The people are not active. The people are not involved in what God would want them to do. Things are just not well. And please remember what Nehemiah did. Do you? He wept. And then he fasted and prayed and sought the Lord in that kind of situation. Grief in his heart for the city of his ancestors. And so that's kind of the setting for this whole thing because we see Nehemiah there with something that you and I need to have because when there is desperate, ungodly kinds of things going on in us and in around us, we need to weep. Now, do you have ungodly things? Does this church have ungodly things? Yes, we're all sinners. But in God's love and grace, we can face that and now we look at Nehemiah facing that through prayer and fasting and deciding and seeking what the Lord wanted him to do. Now, we're going to pick up the story there. And what I'm going to do here, I ask you to just kind of follow along and stay with me because Nehemiah tells this story in the first person. I love that because it's almost like he's talking to me. It's like he's talking to you. And so as I pick up this story, I'm going to tell it as if I were Nehemiah. And then I'm going to stop as if I'm Don <laughs> and make comments about it and help you think about it just a little bit. But in the second chapter in the scripture, Natalie read for us just a little bit ago, Nehemiah says... That in the month of Nisan, now, there were four months from the time Nehemiah heard about this desperate situation in Jerusalem to where we're picking up the story. So Nehemiah says, in the, in the month of Nisan, I took wine to the king, to King Artaxerxes, and I had never been sad before him, but now I had a sad face. And the king said to me, why are you so sad? I've never seen you sad like this, Nehemiah. And the king said, it must be a sadness of your heart because you're not ill. What is it? And I looked at the king and I was terrified because he is the king. And I knew why I was sad, and I knew what I needed to say to him. And I said, why would I not be sad? Because I know right now that the city of my fathers, where my ancestors have lived and where they are buried, is a city of destruction. It is a city of desperate needs. And I am heartbroken over that. The king looked at me and said, well, Nehemiah, what do you want? What is it that you want to do? I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king based on my prayer and based on what I know that God was leading me to do. And I said, 
King Artaxerxes, if I have found favor in your eyes, I want to ask you to send me to Judah, to the land of my fathers and my ancestors, to the city of Jerusalem, so that I can rebuild it. Now, think about this for a minute and let me comment on it. Because here's Nehemiah coming before the king. Remember, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Now, what does that mean? Nehemiah was a man of great importance to King Artaxerxes. Not just a peon, not just a slave, but a man of great importance. Serving the king and protecting the king. Uh, a valued person in the king's court. So Nehemiah did have some influence, some, I hate to say power, but some, uh, some position before King Artaxerxes. And, but now remember, King Artaxerxes is a pagan king. He's not a godly man. But Artaxerxes is living with a godly man by the name of Nehemiah. And so here's now Nehemiah coming before the king with sadness in his face. And Nehemiah had been sad for these four months since he heard about the desperate situation in Jerusalem. And so now Nehemiah is taking some steps on this. And he's coming before the king and saying, I want you to send me to Judah, send me to Jerusalem. Why? Because Nehemiah had a vision coming from his passion, from his prayers. He had a vision. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Just stop right there. From his passion, from his prayers, he had a vision. He had a picture of what God was doing and what God wanted to do. Now, isn't that a lesson for you and me? Isn't that a lesson for King's Grant Baptist Church? Do you have a passion for God's work in this place? I hope so. I do. Many do. I can tell. And that is a blessing. A passion for God's work here in this place. And your prayers. Beautiful music this morning about the children praying to Almighty God. I pray, hope, and beg that every person in this room would pray for God's work here at Kings Red Baptist Church to have a passion and a prayer, many prayers. And then Nehemiah had a vision for what he was to do. What are you to do? What am I to do? What are we to do as a church family? That's what the lesson is here right now. And Nehemiah asked the king. And he asked him to send him. And then, coming back into Nehemiah's story, the king found favor in me and decided to send me. He wanted, do you realize just how powerful a statement that was from Nehemiah? He just, the king 
was going to send him. And I spoke to the king and I said, King, I need letters. I need introductions from you to the other governors across this land because I'm going to be traveling back to Jerusalem. And with the letters from you, then that would protect me. That would give me passage through the other lands. And so Nehemiah is now stepping into his conversation with the king in boldness. Why? Because he's been praying. He knows what God wants. And that gives us boldness. And he asks the king for letters. And he also said, King, I ask that you give me a letter to Asaph, who is the keeper of the forest. And from the forest, I'm going to get timbers in order to rebuild. Rebuild the, the houses, rebuild some of the temple, but mainly to rebuild the, the walls and the gates. And what did Artaxerxes do? He gave him the letters. Complete submission from the king to Nehemiah? No. To Almighty God. This is a God story, folks. It's a powerful God story. And Nehemiah is experiencing this. And I hope, I pray that you folks have God stories. We're supposed to have God stories. And Nehemiah is going to use this God story because he's going to tell it. Which is what you and I are supposed to do when we have God stories. Now, Nehemiah goes on and he says, based on all of this, I went to Jerusalem. Nehemiah has now stepped into the process. I went to Jerusalem and I remained there for three days before I did anything. I want you to think about that for a moment. Why did Nehemiah wait three days? Scripture doesn't tell us. There's not a statement of why Nehemiah waited three days. What do you think? Why did you wait three days? I heard somebody says praying. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. Remember, Nehemiah is a man of prayer. We've already seen him pray two or three times in the first two chapters. He, he prays 14 times in the book of Nehemiah for various and sundry things. I believe Nehemiah had a three-day prayer meeting just between him and God because nobody else knew what he was doing. He had not told anybody else in Jerusalem about what his vision was and what he was planning on doing. But Nehemiah is on his knees before Almighty God for three days before he does anything. What a lesson to me and you. You know, I've, I've lived a long time, and I'm not totally impulsive. But sometimes I just want to go out and get it done based on me, based on my thoughts, or based on my vision, or based on... No. You and I are Christians. We're God's people. We come before the Heavenly Father, and we... Do what, at least I pray, that I and you, we do what he's leading us to do. Now, Nehemiah is spending three days praying. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stay in his room just praying. He spends three days. And then what does he do? 
he goes out. Now, he goes out at night, mostly by himself. I took a few men with me, but I had not told any of the other priests and the officials or anybody else what I was about and what I was going to do. But I went out at night riding a horse. I went through the valley gate. I went down toward the dung gate. I was looking at the gates and the walls, and everything was destroyed. Everything was burned. Everything was torn down. I was examining carefully what the needs were. I was looking at the mess, the trash. In fact, I got to one place as I was riding around the gates and the wall where I couldn't even get the horse through because there was so much trash. It was so crowded. But I looked and I examined and I checked and I saw what had to be done. And then I went back into the city even though I had not yet told anybody in the city what I was going to do. Now think about this journey that Nehemiah took in the middle of the night. Why did he take that journey? Because he needed to see firsthand as the leader, as the one that was going to gather people around him. We're about to see in this story where there are hundreds of people gathered around him to build. But Nehemiah needed to see what the whole problem was, which is really important for all of us. We need to face what the problem is. We need to be realistic. We need to be truthful about what some of the issues are. And then through prayer and through God's leadership, then we move toward it. And that's what Nehemiah did, because it goes on to say, he says, I then called all the people. Remember, he, did, he had not told anyone what he was going to do. But I then called all the people together, all the, the priests and the officials and the people that needed to know. I called all the people together and I told them what a terrible situation I had seen out in the city and around the walls and the gates. I said, we must do something about this so that we will no longer be a reproach. Now, what is Nehemiah saying? He's not saying this for himself. He's not even saying this reproach is related to the people, although it certainly was. He is saying the reproach, so we won't be a reproach, a bad sign, a bad witness to Almighty God. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Because you and I represent Almighty God. This church represents Almighty God. I represent God right now. And I'm humbly pleased and thankful about that. But I have to be very careful that I don't reflect something badly on Almighty God. And that's what was happening in Jerusalem. Remember, it had been a hundred and 40 years since all of this was torn down. And it, the, the trash was so deep that Nehemiah couldn't even get his horse through some of the areas. 
That's how bad it was. And the people were just sitting around. They weren't doing anything. And so now Nehemiah is looking at all these people, the leaders of the people, the priests and the officials of the people, and he's saying, we are a reproach, a, a bad witness. We are a difficult blemish on being godly people and almighty God. We've got to do something about this. And then you know what Nehemiah did? Sort of strange right here, but it goes back to something I said a moment ago. He said, and then I told them the wonderful favor that God had shown me through King Artaxerxes, allowing me to come here and giving me everything that I needed to do what I am now going to envision that we do. Nehemiah told the God story. Now, why did he do that? Because these people had lost touch with Almighty God. And now Nehemiah is coming to say, look, this is what God has envisioned. This is the picture that God has for Jerusalem. That we rebuild. That we build these walls and these gates so that we can honor Almighty God. And he told the God story about the letters and the provisions and all that King Artaxerxes had done for him. Why? To encourage the people. Because they had to know, just like you and I have to know, that God is going to lead us, God is going to provide for us, God is going to strengthen us, God is going to make us wise, God is going to challenge us. God is, God is, God is. He's going to do his work because you and I need to do our work. And that's what Nehemiah was saying to these people. And then, this wonderful concluding statement of where we're going today. Because of all this that Nehemiah has said to the people, because of what Nehemiah has done, because Nehemiah is saying, we're going to do this under God's leadership, then the people said, not Nehemiah, but the people said, well, we need to start rebuilding. And they, the people, put their hand to the work. They started the rebuilding. And that's where this whole story is going. Powerful story. Amazing story about the people coming together under the leadership of Almighty God and this man, Nehemiah, to rebuild in the city of Jerusalem. Now, I want to tell you five things about this real quickly. Now, four of them are in the book, The Nehemiah Code, that I've referred to you by O.S. Hawkins. I'm going to add a fifth one to it because... Hawkins says that Nehemiah has come to the people and he has said that they need to face up. Face up to the reality of the destruction in which they lived. Face up to the desperate situation that was all around them. Face up to the reproach that they had been before Almighty God because they had not done anything about it in 140 years. 
Now, that was not a pleasant facing up process. That was a conviction. That was a challenge. That was something where God was saying, you got to pay attention to what is in front of you. You got to face up. Second thing Nehemiah is saying to him, you need to team up. If you read carefully in these scripture texts, you will see over and over and over, particularly when Nehemiah is talking, he says, we, we, we. He says, us. He doesn't say, you just got to do it. Nehemiah is leading from the front, not from the back. And Nehemiah is saying, in fellowship, in respect, in cooperation, in commitment to each other, we've got to team up. That's the second thing he's saying. The third thing he's saying is that we have to gird up for the work. We have to gird up for the work. In other words, you folks have been lazy. You have been doing nothing. You've sat around for all these years looking at but not seeing, so there's the face up to the reality. But now we've got to gird up for the work. There is work to be done. And Nehemiah is saying that that work must be done by the whole team, by the people that are come to, going to come together for the rebuilding process. So we have to gird up for the work. And then the fourth thing that Nehemiah is saying here is we have to look up to whom? To Almighty God. Because if we do any of this work on our own, it will fall flat on our face. If we do any of this work under our own power, it will fall flat on its face. If you and I press on in our own preferences and in our own way, it will fall flat on its face. So we have to look up to Almighty God for direction, for power, for truth, for rightness. That's what Nehemiah is saying. So those four things, think about them again. All right? We have to face up. We have to team up. We have to gird up for the work, and we have to look up. Now, I told you I was going to add a fifth one. You have to stand up. And you have to stand up for two things right now, maybe many things, but two things I'm going to say to you. You have to stand up in the presence and in the power and in the rightness of our Heavenly Father. You don't stand on yourself. You don't stand on your selfishness. You don't stand on your personal preferences. You stand up for what God is saying. And that's the first of the two things. But the second thing that you stand up related to is you have to, have to stand up against the opposition. Now, at this point, I want to introduce you to three un unusual names that you find in the book of Nehemiah. 
Sanballat, Tobias, and Geshem. Now guess what, folks? These are not good guys. Not at all good guys. Sanballat, Tobias, Tobiah, and Geshem. They are opponents. They are Samaritans and Amorites and Arabs. Opponents to the Jewish people. Opponents to God's city. Now, they live in Jerusalem. And I would imagine that they profit from Jerusalem. And they don't want Nehemiah and these people to rebuild. They want the city to stay in destruction. So now I'm saying that, yes, we stand up for the truth and the rightness of Almighty God and God's people, but we stand up against the opponents. And Sanballat, Tobias, and Geshem are the opponents. Now, next Sunday, we're going to look much, much more at these three guys and their futile, listen carefully, their futile attempts to distract, to derail, to block the work of Almighty God. But they really worked hard at it, and they were persistent, and they were harsh, and they were manipulative, and they were liars, and they were seeking to oppose Nehemiah and all of the rebuilding work. But you stand up, and I got to say that even when we stand up against opponents, sometimes it happens in ourselves. Sometimes our selfishness gets in the way. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. But we must stand for God and stand against the opponents. Now, one final word and I'll be done. This is not an easy picture. It wasn't an easy picture for Nehemiah. It wasn't an easy picture for the people of Jerusalem, the ones that we're saying we're going to rebuild. We're going to build the walls and the gates. It wasn't an easy picture when they had to face the opposition of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. However, I hope you love climbing mountains. I love climbing mountains with God's help. And under God's guidance. So I am praying. I am asking. I am saying. It's time for us to, to arise and build. Let's pray please.
I'm going to ask Annabelle to just play for a little bit, and I want you to just think and pray because we've got to pray about this. So please go to the Father and put yourself before him and express your heart's desire under his guidance and just pray for a minute. Father, you have spoken to us. Your word is so powerful. Your lessons are so plain. Your truth is so good. And I just pray in my life and in the lives of everybody in this room, I pray that in the lives of everybody in this church family, that we will accept your word to us. This is something that we can apply to ourselves. We can apply to our families. We can apply to our church family. We can apply this whole process to everything in our lives because it is your truth. It is your way. And I do know, therefore, it is your will for me and for us to arise and build based on the truth of Almighty God, you, Father. And I pray that I and everybody here will be just like those people 2,500 years ago when they listened to Nehemiah and they said, then we must be about rebuilding. Help us, Father, to see this, to do this, to be about this, to stand for what you are saying and what you want here in this place. And we thank you deeply, thank you, thank you, thank you that you give us the opportunity to stand. And we pray in the wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
God bless you. Go in prayer, please.